This is For Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer. And today we have a very special guest in Mr. Brad Mel. How you doing, Brad? I'm well, you? I'm doing awesome. So Brad is a CFP professional, a senior wealth advisor with the 1792 Group, and you are affiliated with Raymond James. Brad has been with Raymond James for about four years now. I think he joined just before I did and uh, started uh, his career back a while ago. Merrill Lynch in 2001 made a few different moves to some different wirehouses and made his happy home now at Ray J. You happy so far? It's the happiest I've been in my career since I was a new FA with UBS back in 05 when I was excited about my potential and getting my first gig and having an opportunity to be an entrepreneur and grow my own book of business. So it's, there was some in between, but it's definitely the happiest and most content I've been in quite some time. Yeah. Excellent. Roaring endorsement for Ray J. Anyway, I met Brad. We were actually, I had just joined a super OSJ called concurrent at the time and was with them for about two and a half months and they had some special trip out to San Diego. We were on a bus uh, ride over, long story short, we had a great time on the trip and uh, that was probably one of the more exciting times. And then I just ran into Brad at the Elevate conference three or four weeks ago. It was interesting. Brad, tell us a little bit about your history in the business, how you got started with Merrill and the different wirehouses and, and some of the in-betweens. Sure, I'd be happy to. So it goes back to 1999. I was finishing my junior year in college. And my resume was not very strong at that point. I had the busboy, pool installer, landscaper, shoe salesman, right? The gamut of high paying W-2 jobs for a college student. And I realized I needed some sort of experience, or at least I believed I needed some sort of experience in anything business related with an economics degree. So I had a couple friends going out to San Diego for the summer. I went to school at Denison University in Ohio, and I had some friends going out to San Diego for the summer to take classes and really not much else. So I sent a few resumes and cover letters. My delusions of grandeur were the San Diego Padres and the San Diego Chargers at the time. And then I know one was Merrill Lynch, and I can't remember to this day if the other one was Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, or Smith Barney. Needless to say, I got a call from an advisor with Merrill Lynch in San Diego, and he said, I'm looking for someone to help me run seminars for three months, Memorial Day to Labor Day, unpaid, eight to one, four days a week. Can you do it? So I thought it'd be a great opportunity. I basically had to go back to my parents and look for some moral and financial support to have that opportunity to go out there. And needless to say, it was a fantastic experience. I actually worked really close with him, did a number of things with him and his clients, did not really help prepare for the seminars. He had other interns for that, but I basically left that summer ecstatic about the financial services industry. I parlayed that into a paid internship in Columbus, Ohio for Merrill Lynch during my senior year of school. So I then graduated college and was eventually hired by Merrill Lynch in Short Hills, New Jersey, 
about a year after I graduated. There was the tech bubble had put a hiring freeze and things like that. So I waited my turn, worked for Merrill Lynch for about a year, got licensed. Unfortunately, the manager that hired me retired. You had 9-11 and I read the writing on the wall that I was not going to become a producer at 22, 23 years old. And I needed to find something else to do in the business. So that's why you, if you looked at my resume, you have City Street, you have Dreyfus, and then eventually UBS is where I obtained my first production number as a financial advisor. So that was like, what, 2005, 2006, somewhere in there? Yeah, October of 2005 is when I got hired. And then I, my number was technically January of 06. So you were at UBS and then you went to Morgan Stanley, is that right? Or City and then Morgan? City was, I went to Morgan from UBS. Technically Smith Barney, my partner and I left about six months after Morgan Stanley acquired Smith Barney. And we actually joined the Smith Barney side of it. Okay. We liked the manager. It was right around the corner from our, our other office in New York City. And it just seemed like the right spot for us. Got it. Okay. And uh, so you were in a partnership then. Are you still in a partnership now? Not with that partner. Okay. So when we, one of the great ways I got started in the business was I joined two gentlemen, Brett and Barry. Barry was the, the, the near at the ninth inning of his career, Brett, probably the third or fourth inning, financial planning, fee-based asset management. Barry was a kind of old school commission-based advisor. They had teamed up and I basically was the go-between, right? Brett didn't have enough hours in the day. I didn't have any clients. Barry didn't have any experience or desire to be a financial planner or fee-based asset management. So I served as the liaison between the two. And we had a lot of success converting a lot of Barry's clients from commission-driven to fee-based financial planning and preparing them for the next step when he eventually would retire, which he did towards the, that was probably 2008, 2009. And then about six months after he retired, Brett and I moved from UBS to Morgan Stanley Smith Barney. And which you were is at, now a retired name. You were you were there for how long? I was at UBS for a little over three. I was at Morgan Stanley for about eight and a half years. Okay. And your partnership, as far as how long were you? When did that partnership dissolve? Was that while you were there, or was that when you made the move? Yeah, about two years. About two years after we left, we things got a little on the fringe, right? The pipeline. We had left some stuff at. UBS, some things we couldn't bring because of our retirement agreement. Yep. So we had to start over from a pipeline and a growth aspect. I also have had a young family growing in New Jersey. I wanted to spend more time in New Jersey versus Manhattan, less time in the office, more time cr kind of crafting my own path versus his path. And you've seen it before in the business. Unfortunately, it was an amicable split, but we were going in two different directions at that point in time. Yeah, it's never fun the, when you have to go through those splits. It's never like, oh, you deserve this and you deserve this. Here's a handshake and a hug and I'll see you later. You wish it was. I did notice that you use a software called Riskalyze. I saw that on your webpage. I'm a big Riskalyze user. I think they, they changed their name. Nitrogen. Uh, nitrogen. Nitrogen. We got it yesterday. 
Yeah, I saw it this morning, actually. And I was like, oh, interesting. And uh, I guess they offer other services. And honestly, I never knew about those other services. It's probably good they did change their name because it probably made me, you know, go and look and say there are other services. How do you use that with clients? What's your structure there? Do you have a structure in place or is that used on everybody or is it used once in a while or? It, so I use it sometimes with clients, right? Where it works best for me, because I use the financial planning software that, that we have access to Money Guide Pro. And there's, for most clients that are longtime clients, the Money Guide Pro asset allocation works just fine in the context of a long-term client. Where I found Riskalyze's true value add is prospects, because I will ask them to actually complete the questionnaire. I've tried to ask existing clients, I'm like, Brad, are you kidding me? I've known you for five years. Why are you making me work? So I've stopped. I've st I'll show them the number, right? But with prospects, I have them go through it. And then what I simply talk about mainly is, here's how you answered and or here's how your spouse answered. Here's where you are. But ultimately, it's not that I don't care about any of that stuff, but then I show them where they actually need to be to complete their goals. Yep. And I know it sounds a little cliche, but I'm showing them three numbers or sometimes four if it's both the husband and wife answer the question. But it's just giving them an idea of where are they in terms of volatility and how their portfolio will behave in various market environments. Now, that was really good about five years ago, but they've seen all those market environments with their existing portfolio in the last three and four years. Yep. So sometimes I will use it as a reminder, right? Remember when we went through this software, you saw exactly like your, I say it all the time to clients, your money is actually doing what it's supposed to be doing or should be doing. It's just not doing what we want it to be doing right now in this particular market. And they're like, yeah, I know you said that, et cetera, et cetera. So it's an education process for me or a re-education. Yeah, it's a great tool. You're, you're right. For existing clients, it wasn't something directly to send to them. I've done it with them. I say, hey, we have a new tool. I want to try this exercise with you and go through the questions and answers with them just to get them on page. And then I tell them going forward, we need something on a yearly standpoint. And again, it's a baseline. It doesn't mean that we're going to use that number. It's just a baseline of where they're at and and utilizing Money Guide Pro and some of these financial planning softwares to go up with their true asset allocation of what they need is a whole different conversation anyway. But yeah, I do think it's a great software and I saw it when I was doing my research on you. What are some niches? Some advisors believe in focusing on specific niches, either niche clients or niche ideas or concepts. Do you have any niches in your practice? I don't at all. My book is, you could go through phases, right? And I could tell you how I've obtained certain pieces. My first portion was Barry's clients, right? So they were at or near retirement. Now they're in their late eighties. It happens. It goes fast, right? They're in the distribution phase, right? And then I, what I needed to grow, I joined local chambers. I joined a business networking international. If you've ever heard of BNI, I started networking with a few group health benefits folks. So that's how I got my 401k practice started as a complement to the group health benefits. And then, so I have that various dynamic and then COIs, kind of that mix that probably a lot of people have. But what I would say is one of the great things about Ray J, and I'm not plugging Ray J, but Ray J 
the difference between Ray J and the wirehouses I've been a part of have allow you to be an entrepreneur. They truly do. So since I've been at Ray J, my now partner and I have acquired a retirement advisor and it was a lot of 401k business, a lot of institutional business. So that's grown. But the best thing that happened to me when we came here is I was able to hire a marketing company to send out invitations to local people where I host a paid seminar. And I do that about twice a year. They only pay 50 bucks to attend. It's a big difference between them paying the mark, really the marketing company, not me $50 versus me paying $200 a couple to attend a steak dinner. So much smaller audience, but it's two, two and a half hour sessions in a local high school library. And what I found there is my niche is the client dynamic. What I found is from that seminar, I'm able to develop great relationships in five hours with if 10 people attend, two or three that are okay with my presentation style. I'm somewhat sarcastic. I've learned to be me and that works for three of them. It doesn't work for the other three. And then I got to really sell the in-between. And what I found is there a great group of people where I'm in New Jersey. You have a lot of people that work in the city. You have a lot of people that work in the pharmaceutical industry, but bottom line, you have a lot of people that have lived here for 30 years. They put their kids through school. They have a lot of equity in their home. They've got a decent size 401k. They've saved some money on the side and they may or may not have an advisor, but they're, I'm going to use the term again, in the ninth inning and they want validation from a CFP. That is what I've found has worked really well for me is folks know they're near the distribution phase and they need it validated before they take the package, get let go, retire, move. They know they're on pace, but they really want it stamped for approval. And that's been great for me. Excellent. And you have a partner now. Are you guys 50-50 partners, just two of you? So I technically have three partners. So one is Elise is her name. So she's the one who we signed a successor agreement with. So I work a lot with her because I had the 401k background. And then I have Barry who he came over with Bob and I from Morgan Stanley. He actually hired Bob into the business back in the mid nineties. So I work with him on a number of his clients. That's increasing obviously as he enters the later stages of his career and then bob and i are working closely with elisa's business and barry's business right together and then we each have our own separate business so i would say What's yeah 50 percent of my business is run by me 50 to 60 percent and then the remainder is run by me, Bob, and those other parties. What's your total AUM at this point between the, all the parties? I'll say my portion is about 150 million. Got it. And so let's talk a little bit about management of money. Do you manage on a discretionary or non-discretionary basis? I am 90% fee-based and it, almost all of it is discretionary. And do you run your own model? Raymond James or term. Do you use yeah. SMAs or what, what do you do in your models? My models are so most of my money is in models. It's ETFs, individual stocks, mutual funds. 
some mutual funds for fixed income. I don't use a lot of actively managed equity mutual funds in taxable accounts. I do a little bit in IRAs and other qualified accounts. Yep. And then, but mostly if I do stocks, it's from a research model. It's not, I'm not doing the individual research on the stocks. Got it. And uh, you've been in the business now 20 plus years. There's a lot of that next gen clients that are coming around. What's some good advice that you would give to the next generation of advisors as they're coming up? Advice that I would give, I'm going to answer, I'm going to answer pre-next gen. So I've had, when I was an advisor in the city, I had a lot of folks from Denison that would look me up on LinkedIn and ping me and ask me for advice because they wanted to get into the business. And without fail, I'd always ask them, what's your working experience? And it was zero. And I would say, go wait tables for the summer, right? In, while you're interviewing for your gig, go wait tables, go do something that is real, real hard work for little pay in the service industry. So you can learn and appreciate, right? I always say, I get to work in a building with air conditioning and heat. Whereas I've had jobs where I'm digging a hole in the bottom of a pool where it's a hundred degrees and miserable. So when I think things are tough here and they get tough, I look back to those times where I was, that was real work yep. and no money. Makes you so it helps, it, it helps me stay grounded 100%. So that's one. And then look, everybody told me when I got into the business, you should set a minimum, right? You should have a niche market. And I'm not, I didn't have any of that, but now I do. And I just think you've got to go your own way and you've got to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. So be open to advice, work really hard. And then you, as you work hard, you learn to work smarter, right? Because you just, at 23 years old or 28, whenever someone gets started, even if you're working for a team or working with other people, your parents, your uncle, you, you got to go your own way and make your own mistakes and don't be afraid to fail. And it's okay to open that small account, right? To realize that may not be the account that's right for you. So you've got to learn what the good fit is. And don't be afraid to say to people, I don't think it's a good fit. You'd be surprised what happens when you say that. Yeah, I agree. And the account minimum thing, I always think that's a funny conversation to have if you know you had a client that walked into your office that had fifty thousand dollars to invest today but they're inheriting three million dollars in six months are you not going to take them on as a client brad i will 100 percent take them on and to add to that the amount of folks i've taken on before where they earn their first bonus right they're a banker or an attorney they had their first real taste of success financially and they might have a young family. So you write some insurance, you do a financial plan, you get them doing an automatic investment and you get them started right. They become a million dollar client within a few years and you're, and it's locked in. Yep. It's yep. locked in. So I'm a big believer in karma and you don't, it's not, somebody said this on one of your podcasts I listened to. It's not all about the money. It's really not. Sometimes you have to make an investment in people because there's been a lot of people in my life, whether it's coaches, teachers, 
colleagues that have invested time in me, and I believe in paying that back. Yeah, 110%. And, you know, I agree with you. People say niches. If a client comes to you with enough assets and enough interest in what you do and you can add value to them, then I throw half the niches out the door. What are some qualities you look at as far as, like, you see new advisors that are coming up or advisors that are looking into the business? What are, like, two or three qualities that you would say you need to have in this business? I'll go back to the folks that hired me. Sweat equity, right? The you got to be able to work hard and you've got to be persistent. You got to be willing to take no for an answer. And you don't necessarily need to be a straight A student, I think, to be an advisor. The straight A students go become investment bankers and CFAs. I always joke, hey, I was a 3.0 student because I like to play sports. I like to socialize. There were other things important to me other than getting the best grade. And I think that was a good match for this profession because you have to work with people. You have to empathize with people. You have to spend time on the people versus researching the stock or having your nose in a Morningstar report. That's the work. But the fun part of the job is working with people. I believe you have to be a people person and you've got to be willing to work hard and you have to be, I say this to my son, he's 13. He gets upset, right? And I always say, look, I don't know who invented it. Maybe Angela Duckworth said it. I think it's her, but it's, you got to have grit. And that to me is the number one thing in what we do. It's probably the number one thing in parenting my children. (laughs) It's hard sometimes and you just can't give in. You can't give up. You got to continuously get better, right? Adjust, but you just got to keep moving forward. And that segues me into my next question and last question for you. What's the future hold for you? Where are you in three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years? What's the anticipation? You know, we're in this new AI world. I got shown a lot about AI, uh, ChatGPT, and how to use it and writing it, using it for emails and real interesting stuff. I still, at the end of the day, think our core competency is relationships and people. Where do you see yourself in three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now? All right. So two minutes to answer three, five, 10, and 20. Look, I, where I'm at right now, my conundrum right now, and and my manager Smith Barney said this to me, right? He said to me, we're going through this transition, right? This quote, this breakup. And he goes, listen, the only thing you need to do right now is take care of your current clients, develop relationships with folks that aren't clients and meet new people. That's just all you need to be doing. That was 10 years ago, 13 years ago. Now I see, and he's, listen, when you get to a certain production, you're going to have a whole new set of problems. And it's not problems. I look at it more as opportunities. And now my partner and I have this discussion of, I say, I need me 15 years ago. I need somebody to sit with me and clients and help take notes and offload some of the work. I need that associate attorney. And to your point, from a marketing standpoint, AI, in three years, I'd like to have a team that is working on a lot of the stuff that I can't get to, whether it's ChatGPT, doing, instead of two seminars a year, doing one a month, not necessarily me, but someone on my team in a different area, just really growing this thing to a full-scale business, almost like an RIA. That's my goal for three, five, 10, 15, 20. And 
when I got into the business, I said I was going to retire by 60. And I heard on one of your podcasts, the average age of an advisor is 62, yeah. something of that nature. And I've changed my tune probably because I'm happy in what I do today. And I see some of my clients, right, when they retire, if they don't have something going on, they slow down. And I'm passionate about what I do now, probably for the first time since I got started. And I would love to just be able to continue to do this, maybe bring my kids into the business and work with 5, 10, 15, 20 clients and then help my kids or juniors, right? Whoever did good people grow into the business. And I'm saying this today, I'm 45. I feel like I could do it forever. That might change when I'm 65 or 70. But I feel like, like you said, it is a relationship business. I think AI can help us. I think all this great technology, Riskalyze, I'm using Holistaplan now, can help me add value to clients. So as long as I can do that, I want to keep growing it and I want to keep my existing clients happy. It's interesting too, because you know I'm your age, roughly have the kids the same age and you get to that level of success and growth, and especially when you go independent, where you don't feel the same strain that you might've felt at some of the wirehouses or, or bank side where you just don't have those stressors anymore. And it's more about managing your clients and your relationships. And so it becomes fun again to start growing. And it's almost like a second stage of being a financial advisor is, is once you make that independent channel, hopefully you do that young enough, you start feeling alive again. It is a little bit of a second win, right? I joke, it's been easier to grow coaching little league and tackle football with my kids than it was changing diapers and commuting to the city. Yep. So it just seems to be a, like, it's actually fun now, right? Not every day is fun, right? Bear markets aren't fun, rising interest rates, but all in all communicating with the clients and educating clients and preparing them for this type of thing. I guess maybe I'm just better at it today than I was 10, 15 years ago. And that, that takes time. Yep, 100%. And I actually, I, I had heard from another advisor, he said, the more you fail, the more you succeed because you get to experience those times and get better from them. And I, newer advisors, unfortunately, haven't had those experiences yet of bear markets or wars or pandemics or even the new advisors that are starting out like now and you go, pandemic, there was a few months there, things didn't feel great. Felt 08 all over again, maybe worse. Brad, it was awesome to have you on. There are a lot of advisors that listen to the show. If anybody has a question, how can they reach out to you? You can always Google me. I think I'm on the first page. My cell is 908-303-9197. My email is brad.mel, M-E-H-L, at 1792-1792, wealthadvisors with an O.com. Awesome. And I think you're on LinkedIn too. Definitely on LinkedIn. Excellent. Excellent. So Brad, thanks, thanks for, for having, having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It was a lot of fun. For those advisors out there, if, if you like the show, please subscribe. I hope you enjoyed it. We did take a little hiatus and we just came back with our first podcast recording today, actually got released and... Look forward to doing a few more here in the recent weeks. Uh, take care.